Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. What's up? Yes, indeed it is. Good morning to you. Man, another weekend, and we are officially going into October. Can you believe it? We are in the trifecta of holiday season, Halloween, right around the corner. Plus the Thanksgiving, Christmas, I guess you can throw in New Year's as well, so four of them. But welcome in. It's about ready to be that time of year, and I'm so excited. We're going to not have 90-degree weather, although why the hell do we have 90-degree weather going into the early part of October? This is kind of angering me a little bit. I am ready for 20 degrees and cool and like misty outside and even maybe into the negatives come this winter. I'm super excited about that. So, oh, yes, I'm the weirdo that likes that cool weather. So, hey, welcome into it. We got a lot to talk about today. Can you believe that we are just a day away from a potential government shutdown at the federal level? Guess what, everybody? We are going to all die in the streets because we will have no government to protect us at the federal level. So we'll talk about that in a little bit here. How is it going to affect us here in the state of Kansas and the city of Wichita? According to the Small Business Administration, they say that workers here in the Kansas area and the Wichita area could be losing their jobs or at least going on furlough during the government shutdown, depending on how long this thing goes on. So we have that to get to. Today is also a big day for the state Republican Party, as there is a meeting for the entire statewide delegation. I was asked to go with my being an alternate delegate for the state. But not, obviously not able to make it with all the radio programs, but we will be talking about it because you need to know what's going on with some of the big changes within the state Republican Party. We have that. We also have Governor Laura Kelly out in western Kansas earlier this week doing a uh, apparently a roundtable or conversation or discussion on Medicaid expansion. <laughs> like you think that uh, that's really going to change and do something in the legislative session this year. So we have some audio from that. And we'll try and get to that a little bit later as well. So, so much to do and so much to talk about. But as you know, there's been some other issues in the news lately as well. And I love talking about this because I don't think it's something that most media likes to talk about or even knows how to talk about it. And I think we need to have a deeper conversation like we usually do on this program. So in studio with us, I know he was in just a few weeks ago with a big announcement, but we had to bring him back in to uh, converse on this because, well... He's kind of the expert on it. So, State Representative Stephen Owens in studio. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me again. I always love the opportunity to get in here and visit with you, bud. Yeah, it's it's really good. And well, First up, before we get into the topic, after the announcement that you made a couple of weeks ago, how's the response been? How's things going going into election season? Yeah, you know, it is it is super good. We, uh, we got our team together, did a couple parades, one in Sedgwick, which is uh, uh, the backyard of the senator if she chooses to run again, Senator McGinn. Uh, and then also in Valley Center, and the reception has been remarkable. You know, 20 years in the same seat, people are ready for a change. They're mm-hmm. ready for those conservative values that that truly are at the heart of Kansas politics to be shown through in the 31st district. So, yeah, the the reception has been great, but we're just getting warmed up, Andy. Just getting warmed up. Did she start off as a conservative? Since I've been here, she's not been. She's been a very moderate candidate. You know, since I have known her, it's kind of been the same way. Although, <laughs> okay. right, when nobody challenges your votes... Right. Then you can call yourself a conservative and people believes it when sure. your votes aren't out front in public. And that's what we're doing. We are simply challengers. She's a great woman. Sure. She's been a great public servant. There's no doubt about that. We're yeah. challenging her on leadership. We're challenging her on her voting record. And I'm here to tell you, voting record. That counts. Stephen Owens, 93% conservative lifetime rating. That's right. Carolyn McGinn. 
51 percent mm. who do you want representing you in the 31st senate district yeah and with how close that margin is in the senate that is a make or break for a lot of issues we lost a couple votes based on one vote in the senate absolutely nobody got tax relief at all this year not a single person due to one vote you need 27 in the senate to override the governor yep fortunately Senator McGinn chose to side with the governor and not override her veto. And so they were one vote short. She could have been the single vote that provided hundreds of millions of dollars of relief to Kansans. I can't sit back and let that happen again. Yeah, no. Well, God bless you. I'm so excited. I can't wait for the campaign season. And I'll be obviously you being in my district or me being in your district. I uh, I can't wait to to help out and do what we can on that one. So it's exciting. I'm glad you're getting some positive feedback and we'll continue to cover that as it gets closer. For Absolutely. Election time. I wanted to bring you in, though, for a little bit different issue, because uh, obviously you on side outside of being a professional politician right because we don't really have those in the state of kansas uh your actual job is you own your own company a bonding company a bail bonds company and i know that bonding has been an issue lately with some of the news headlines that we've seen as of late with some of the democrats saying that we need to address bail bonds in the state and bring this up in the upcoming legislative session to reform it change it manipulate it whatever they want to do I am concerned because we see other states, we were just talking off the air a little bit, like the state of Illinois, that has completely gotten rid of bail bonds, mm-hmm. which is a complete disaster. Growing up in college, one of my college buddies also runs a bail bonds company in the state of Ohio that they've branched out with, and uh, they've been fighting this big time for years because this has been a target for the George Soros type of litigation across the nation. Uh, what are we talking about here in the state of Kansas? Is this going to go away? Is there a concern of this? Well, let me go back just a little bit, Andy, and, and talk. You know, my wife and I came up here from Oklahoma to, to attend Bethel College, uh, and, and I realized that, um, you know, during that time, I got my business degree uh, and accounting degree. But 23 years ago, I had a friend of mine introduce me into the bonding industry, and I was really like I, I knew nothing about it, but I thought, well, here's an opportunity where I can help take care of my family, pay off my six figures in student debts yep. without asking the government to help. Um, <laughs> Wait, and you didn't ask for a bailout? No, no bailout. No, no, no. What I did was figured out how to pay him back and, and really worked hard to do that. But um, what I realized during that time is, is the industry was very disorganized. There were very few statutes um, and nobody had really applied what I call just business logic to the industry. And so, mm. First, my wife was skeptical, and I said, well, hold on. Let's take this, and let's let's do it in a way that is professional, respectful, where we're taking care of people, yeah. respecting their due process rights, but this, then also working with law enforcement and working with the courts. And that's what our company uh, truly represents. We have agents uh, all over the state, all four corners, um, and we do things in a way that uh, really – uh, we try to make sure that the industry is well represented and that the people are taken care of. Yeah. So a little bit of context behind where I come and, and how this is, because I've been doing this 23 years. Yeah. Um, and so this idea that somehow this this constitutional right, right, this is a constitutional right to bail right. in the U.S. Constitution and the state constitution, uh, and in the state constitution it specifically says, by solvent surety, okay, mm. Right. So, so, yeah, this financial aspect is built into our Constitution. You've got to have accountability in that system because what a bondsman does at its basic premise is ensure 
that defendants are held accountable for what they're charged with. Our job is to make sure that they appear in court first and foremost, because what that does is not only does that enable the criminal justice system to function the way that it needs to, it takes that burden off of law enforcement, off of government. Right. But then it also ensures that victim gets their day in court. And in this entire conversation, everybody forgets about the victim. Nobody wants to think about the victim of these crimes who truly deserve their day in court and justice as well. Yeah. Amen to that. It's, uh, I'm glad that we're starting to see some structure mm-hmm. come into this. And like you said, over the years, it's, uh, for those that don't know the process, let's just start at the be- basic beginnings here. For those that have never had to go through this, thank God, yeah. uh, and have had to go through this process. But uh, from the beginning, someone gets in trouble. They go to jail. How does this process work when they call Owens Bonding up and say, hey, I'm in jail or my family member's in jail. I need a bail bond. I need help here. Yeah. So let's take somebody, for example, that uh, that had too much to drink and and uh, made a poor choice to drive, gets a DUI. Okay. Yeah. Um, they get arrested. They get taken to jail. Uh, depending on the county, every county does a little bit different. But let's say they set the bond at a $1,000 bond. The individual in jail or their family always has the right to come put that $1,000 up. Okay, they can post that $1,000, and then when they've appeared each and every time, completed their case, their sentence, they get that $1,000 back, generally less any court costs, fines, and fees to ensure that that's taken care of. Sure. The alternative is what most people really, the situation they're in is they don't have that full $1,000. Right. So they can reach out to us, and we charge 10%. In essence, we charge $100 for them to borrow our $1,000. Okay. We pledge our $1,000 on their behalf. We hold that bond throughout that entire case, and as long as they go to each and every appearance and they handle their business, then at the end of that, we're absolved of that liability. So think of it as just a, it's an insurance mm-hmm. policy for the court. Sure. Right. The court is saying your crime, your circumstances, you appearing is worth a thousand dollars to us. And that financial incentive to them is big because not only is there the financial incentive that they're liable for, we always wrap those folks with with family support, with friends support, with people that that are having some of that liability as well to ensure that that individual gets to court. Now, if they fail to appear in court, we get noticed. We then have 60 days to either return that individual to court, return them to jail, uh, or we're on the hook and we have to write that check for $1,000. Interesting. That is the basic premise. And most people don't understand the value of private industry in the pretrial criminal justice system and the true burden that that takes off of the courts, takes off of law enforcement, uh, and takes off our, our sheriff. How does the value of the bond actually get set? Is it you guys or is it the courts? No, it is 100% a court decision. Uh, every court has, in some instances with their lower level charges, they have a bail schedule that has been set by that court, by that judicial district. On your higher level crimes, they have to go in front of a judge. And then that judge really in 99% of instances has complete discretion on where they believe that amount should be set at. So when we hear the Democrats say that we need to reform the system because it's too expensive, because the argument, of course, is always, well, the uh, ones that are causing the crimes are usually of a low income and can't afford the bond. So therefore, it's racist or it's, you know, segregationist or whatever they try to use as an argument saying that, you know, that it's just uh, unaffordable for these low income individuals. 
that's a court thing. That's not the bail bond industry. That's exactly it, because <laughs> it is ultimately the judge that has the discretion of what to set that bond at. Mm. And our statutes currently have a process in them, which nobody likes to talk about, that gives the judge the discretion to take into account that financial aspect, right? Sure. We have a process within um, the criminal court for the for quote unquote the indigent or those lower income folks to receive representation. The judge has that same discretion. Yeah. Okay? He has that same ability to make that happen, whether that's with what's called an own recognizance bond, right? Which sometimes we don't necessarily agree with their use of the own recognizance bonds, but they have the ability to do that. Right. The reality is, and the falsity in the argument that you're hearing, is that there are so many other reasons right. why somebody can't get out of jail. Okay? Mm. There are so many other reasons why they can't post that bond. They've ran before, and, and, and bondsmen have had to chase them. They become a high flight risk. They have additional holds for previous criminal activity that nobody knows about. They have um, family that will not vouch for them, actually believe the best place for them is to stay in jail. And so when you look at a list of defendants that are sitting in jail pre-trial and you just look at a dollar amount and you say, well, the only reason they're there is because they can't afford it. Well, you're going to have the sheriff on later, and I'd encourage you to ask him that question because he will tell you that that is not the reason that people are sitting in jail pre-trial. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm not going to speak on his behalf. I'll let him speak on his behalf. That's right. That'll be a question we'll ask him when he comes in in hour number two. Sedgwick County Sheriff Jeff Easter will be joining us at that time. It's a fascinating industry, and to understand it better will really shed some light when we hear some of those try to say that we need to do some reformations in the industry coming up in this legislative session. Uh, let's take a break here real quick. we got a lot to cover. It's State Representative Stephen Owens, candidate for State Senate as well in the next election in 2024. Uh, as we mentioned, coming up in hour number two, Cedric County Sheriff Jeff Easter, he'll talk about some of these issues along with crime rates and shortage in law enforcement, other issues that are going on in the community as well. We have a lot to touch on, and if you want to touch on it as well, jump on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment hotlines at 316-721-8255. This is Candace Talk. Happy Saturday morning to you. Let's get you going for another weekend. Stay right here. Four minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. It is Kansas Talk right here. Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM, 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4. If you have that smart radio, you can hear us in high definition. Although I don't know if you want to, hint, hint, wink, wink. But we are here for you that way. Also, our friends out in Garden City, 1240 KIUL. We are broadcasting out there as well from corner to corner here covering the entire southern half of the state of Kansas plus all of our podcast and video stream listeners, but you can watch the video stream on facebook.com slash 1480kqam. A lot of people do that as well. I am thinking we may get a few individuals from the upcoming state Republican meeting jumping on to talk about these issues that are going on as well. We'll touch on that a little bit later. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on the maximum outdoor equipment hotlines we have Stephen owens in here state representative and owner of owens bonding here in the state of kansas i gotta ask you how many times have you, i say you but you and your agents have had to turn into dog the bounty hunter and go track somebody down 
First of all, to be clear, <laughs> Dog the Bounty Hunter is one of the absolute worst things to happen to the bonding industry. Really? Because watching the TV show is <laughs> a joke. That is not how it works. Uh, and he has done nothing to help the industry as a whole, although he made an awful lot of money. Yep. You know, what, what, whatever works good on him. He but, did his shtick and it worked well. But part of our responsibility as bondsmen is if somebody fails to appear in court, it becomes our obligation. We're ordered by the court and given a specific amount of time to go apprehend that defendant and yeah. bring him back. Whether they're in California, Florida, New York, wherever, uh, our responsibility is to do that. And so our company has two full-time uh, recovery agents that that is their job uh, is to bring people back. Wow. So the real question is what happens when somebody's not on a bond and they fail to appear in court, okay? Yeah, let's say that we get rid of bonding altogether. They Maybe the court just decides, well, you're lower income. We're going to do it income-based, and therefore you don't need to pay anything. Just you're going to jail, you check out, and boom, you sign the paper and you're out, which I think defeats the whole purpose of being arrested in the first place. But what would happen in that situation? Yeah, so statistics are very clear that, that the first thing that happens is people stop showing up to court. Because if there is no incentive, if there is no financial incentive, there's no familial incentive, um, and no one's watching over them, then almost 50% of people simply just say, I'm not going to court, and yeah. they take their chances. Well, then that puts that entire burden, because the judge is going to issue a warrant, that puts that burden on local law enforcement that is already understaffed, underfunded, and we know that that 85% of active warrants are actually filled at a traffic stop. They're filled sure. by happenstance. So it takes the burden off of private industry to put it on our government, right, which is kind of a mantra through this entire let's end bail conversation is that it's really eliminating private industry and growing government at its finest. Funny how that works. Funny how that works, yeah. exactly, um, because the left loves to grow government, as we well know. Um, but then it puts it on them. So then all of a sudden, the taxpayer is bearing the cost of fugitives that could have been born by private industry, by the bondsman. Right. So when you think about that at its basic premise, I mean, it only makes sense. Let us do our job. We're good at it. Okay. Um, very, very few defendants actually evade our capture because we operate under a different set of rules and a different set of uh, Supreme Court rulings, actually, sure. that allow us to do what we do. Yeah, it almost sounds like the anarchy that we already see through the immigration process, for example, that, okay, you're coming in illegally, here's your court date in a year from now, they never show up, and then we never see them in court while we always try to track them down. We're trying to bring that same situation to the criminal justice system for people that have broken the law in a different way in our own laws, and we just want anarchy with no accountability. That's essentially what we're wanting here. That, that's exactly right, because these same folks that are pushing for this in-bail movement, the Soros-funded organizations, the Vera Institutes, the Arnold Foundation, they're all the same folks that have supported the defund the police movement, right? Yeah. And so it, it's almost like they want to create instability to further their mission, whatever that may be, however kooky that is. So when when you look at these these basic fundamental arguments about the elimination of pretrial accountability, it will absolutely thwart the entire court process. Because if you have a judge, a DA, you have attorneys, you have witness, you have everybody lined up and somebody doesn't show up in court, think yeah. about the ultimate cost that is on the taxpayer yeah. for them not to be able to do their job 50% of the time. 
if they went to a system like that. Then you look at law enforcement, which we're already having a hard time trying to get more of them on the streets. What's the point of arresting someone if they know they're going to be back out on the street within the hour doing the exact same thing again with no responsibility? Hold that thought. I want to continue this when we come back. Got to take a bottom of the hour break. It's State Representative Stephen Owens. Owens bonding as well. Go and check those guys out if you do need any issues. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the cases that are happening here within Sedgwick County right now and how that could be affecting decisions down the road, the court system, and how do we preserve this as we see this ongoing battle to try and get rid of private bail bonds, holding people accountable, making sure they show up to court and actually, oh, I don't know, be punished for the crimes they commit. Lots more right here on Candace Talks. Stay right here. Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, you are. Welcome back into it. Kansas Talk right here, which does Big Talker, KQAM. Also, our friends out in Garden City, KIUL. Welcome aboard. Great to have you along for the ride with us as well. We got to cover so much today. There is, I don't know. I, I mean, Stephen, are you scared? Government shutdown, man. The government won't be there to protect us. I know they're closed this weekend, but they won't be there on Monday to protect us. Because the government may shut down. Oh, yeah. So, so, so worried Man, about it. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. I don't know how we can survive. Yeah, I, I think we'll be just fine, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll prepare ourselves for that one. 316-721-8255. Let's talk about the some of the cases that are going on here in this area. Uh, and again, we'll talk with Sheriff Jeff Easter about you know the, the law enforcement side of this and the encouragement for law enforcement to actually arrest somebody if they're just going to get out. Because right now we're seeing like California. Yeah. Where you can go in and loot $900 worth of goods and just maybe get a misdemeanor, but you're not going to be charged a felony because, well, by golly, you're a victim of society and you deserve that stuff. So you can just walk in and just take whatever you want to. Is that the road we're going down if we try to reform some of this stuff? Not in Kansas. Not, not, in Kansas. not, not as long as I'm chairman of the Corrections <laughs> and Juvenile Justice Committee. Uh, there, there is no way we're gonna we're gonna approach those soft on crime policies, right? In yeah. California, nine hundred fifty bucks, you walk out, they don't even give you a ticket because law enforcement has has had all of their power stripped away from them to do anything about it. Yeah. So they literally just sit there and watch this stuff happen, and then somehow or another, the the people think this is okay, yeah. right? What has happened, and we do see this in in uh, and I'll use Texas as a great example of this in Harris County. Um, there was a big fight about six, seven years ago where a federal judge ruled that bail was unconstitutional and you can't hold people for money reasons, yada, yada, yada. So they eliminated it. And one of the biggest proponents was the Harris County District Attorney at the time. Now, this is Houston, huge, six million metropolitan area. Sure. What happened after five years was so egregious, she completely changed her tune and started fighting for bail to be brought back because mm. crime increased 300%. Wow. Okay, everything from misdemeanors to felonies to the amount of crime that happens when you're on bond versus not on bond, it just... I mean, it, it devolved into almost California-like madness. And so it was actually Texas, Texas Governor uh, Abbott called a special session to roll back those reforms that somehow or another they thought this was a good idea. Yeah. And it just absolutely implodes into exactly what you're talking about, complete lawlessness and no accountability. Well, a 300% increase in crime, it's very evident that there was a cause and effect there. It wasn't like, oh, it was some other factor. It was something else going on. I mean, that's very evident. You yeah, and you, you can find that. that in New York. You can find that in, you know, Illinois. 
Illinois for all things. Granted, they did away with commercial bonding 30 years ago um, and went to a system where all you did was pay the court the 10%, right? So it was a moneymaker for the court. Right. So when they eliminated, quote unquote, cash bail, all they did was eliminated an income stream to their court. Very different set of circumstances. But so many states that have went down this road have realized, wow, we we got sucked into this nonsense and have had to reverse course Alaska, Utah, Texas, on and on that have said we need to reform this but then you know government's one of government's primary functions is public safety right and if you don't have a government that provides public safety what's the point of having the government at all yeah i mean for real so why are we paying taxes to law enforcement if they're not going to arrest the bad guy yeah right exactly so we have seen this play out we've seen this play out over the last decade we've seen how it works and there's it makes absolutely no sense for kansas to follow suit let's talk about the case here and that's made the news the last few weeks of the kid for those that don't know the kid him and his buddies were riding a motorcycle uh according to them and according to the court hearings right now that they say that there was a truck that swerved to try to hit them in some form they got angry they chased after the truck uh the individual pulled out a handgun while driving the motorcycle on the road moving fired into the truck and ended up killing the passenger 60 some odd year old female that ended up passing away being charged with first degree murder uh the controversial part of all this is that he was posted on a five hundred thousand dollar bond and it was met they obviously paid the money and he's out on bond right now and a lot of people upset that someone who's being charged with first degree murder is able to get out on bond, and I think this is where a lot of this conversation started. What's your well, thoughts on this? Well, this is this is it's picked up steam. That's helped add steam to it. So first of all, he didn't pay the bond, and that's part of the issue. Oh. Okay, so we'll talk about that. My first concern when I heard about this um, is remember we talked earlier about judicial discretion. Judges have the ability to set the bond based on their discretion. Right. I have never in my life seen a first-degree murder charge set at only $500,000. The lowest bond I've ever seen on a first-degree murder charge. Those are usually million-dollar bonds, multi-million-dollar bonds, because of the egregious nature of the charge, right? That wasn't an individual that was being an, being attacked and had to had to argue self-defense. You don't get to argue self-defense when you're chasing after the person to kill them. That doesn't, doesn't <laughs> right. that doesn't work. Right. So first of all is the bond amount. Second of all, the big concern, right? We talk about the financial accountability piece of this. Um, what what has really raised this conversation within our law enforcement ranks especially is there are a couple of companies that have showed up over the last year or two that have in essence turned the industry into a, a collection industry, right? So they're bonding people out really for no money down and then putting them on just this payment plan that may or may not pan out. Well, again, everything we know when you tie a financial incentive to it, when you have that accountability piece, that's part of what makes it work, whether whether it is court cost fines and fees when you're on probation, um, the fees associated with restitution. I mean, just all of those pieces, right. that's part of accountability. And there's a lot of frustration from law enforcement right now that somebody that should have had to have paid at least $50,000 might have gotten out for nothing. Yeah. And that is their big concern right now, as I understand it. Yeah, that is that is wild. And I know, again, they use this argument of, well, you can't afford it, so therefore it's a rigged system to try and keep people in jail because we're incarcerating all these individuals. But like you said, I mean, it, uh, if I buy a vehicle, and uh, I remember in high school, my parents, if they had just bought me a vehicle 
without me helping or contributing to it, then guess what? Then I don't treat that car as nicely. But if I contribute and pay for half of the vehicle, which I did for my first car, and it was an awesome car, then I want to make sure that it doesn't break because I know what went into actually purchasing that vehicle. If you actually have that financial liability, it's common sense, and people don't really see it in that sense anymore today, but it's common sense that you're going to actually show up to court. You're actually going to do the right thing uh, for the most part. And if not, then you're going to be in there a lot longer and no one's going to help you next time. That's exactly right. And and even places like, and I'll use an example of our community health centers, right, that are all income-based, they even expect you to pay $5 to be seen because they know that you've got to have accountability, financial accountability in the decisions you're making, right? If eliminating the need to pay is just one step lower on the whole accountability system as it exists for pretrial justice. And so if for some reason that's totally eliminated, that's one less thing that people are going to take into consideration before they make terrible choices. I mean, this, I don't know how we've gotten so far away from common sense in this world. <laughs> I, I, I honestly It's don't. a minority in society now, and it's very strange. It, well, and it's this vocal minority that likes to elevate these voices, and they know how to be really, really loud. And, and while they may have some legitimacy to their argument, they're not taking the entire conversation into consideration when we make these decisions. And so why anybody feels that you should just, you know, bend to the will of the vocal minority is is beyond me. Yeah, you mentioned that this case right now, that this kid ended up not actually paying this bail. What's the situation here? Well, as I understand it, and again, it was, certainly wasn't our company that posted this bond, um, but as I mentioned, there are a couple of companies that have started up here recently that, uh, as I understand it, are actually, they're, they're a property bonding company, and we can get into that later, but there's surety, which is insurance, which is what I am, licensed insurance agent, sure. regulated, uh, and then there are property folks that actually pledge their property to guarantee these bonds. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one you mean like putting a lien on your house? Yes. Yeah, well, um, they actually will take a piece of property. Say you've got a, a building that's $500,000 yeah. that's free and clear. Well, they work out some agreement with you to pledge your assets to guarantee the bonds that they are posting. Mm. Okay. Now, granted, I think some of the folks that are doing this have no idea the true implications and <laughs> the reality of the risk that they're taking. But, you know, neither here nor Start there. I've seen a home foreclosure later on. Yeah. yeah well, a building or, or anything else. I yeah. mean, it, it's it's a really a concern. Um, but when that that is what is guaranteeing that bond amount at the end of the day. And so for there's two kind of dichotomies and in, in courts, they're treated a bit differently. Uh so as we as you look at this process, as you look at this system, they may I have to pay insurance premiums. They may not have that same incentive or responsibility right. to actually have to pay something. So so this new model that is kind of creeped in is we're gonna get you out for zero down and you need to pay us, you know, a hundred dollars a month for the next fifty years. Interesting. And that's how we're gonna do this. A scary thought. Uh, certainly, it is because then you have all these people in enormous amounts of debt for a very long time, and your the the system as we know it is not functioning the way that it should function. Now, yeah. With that being said, look, I get it. Right, people don't have thousands of dollars. They're not sitting there waiting to post a bond. T- times are tough. Inflation's through the roof. Yeah, everything is through the roof. I mean, just look at our gas prices for gosh sakes. <laughs> However. You've got to have some level of accountability, some level of ownership. Right. And I think that's what has been part of the concern within law enforcement, because if it's 
you know, if we start setting million, two, three million dollar bonds, and all of a sudden people still aren't having to pay out, they're in essence. They're making the case for the left by operating this way, right? Right, that you don't need money in the system to make it function when yeah. we know that you do. And there have been plenty of federal court rulings that have argued that you know along this line of you money shouldn't be your ability to pay shouldn't or you know shouldn't weigh in. Right. Well, they they've ruled that yeah, it, it shouldn't weigh in. Right. Your ability to pay those are its choice and its consequence. That's right. At, at its basic premise. And so your ability to afford it should not be weighed in by the court, according to recent federal court rulings. My concern would be just the operation and structure of the business itself that's allowing this to happen. Because if you're posting a bail for somebody that has a sketchy record, may have gone in a few times like that, then even if it is a concern of the low income or someone that cannot afford that, how do you know they're going to make that $100 payments for the next 20 years? You have no idea. I mean, And if not, then what do you do then? Yeah, well, the scary part is some people want to throw them back in jail, which then all of a sudden that <laughs> creates a whole other set of issues, right? Yeah. Um, but the reality is we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a, a very different approach to the way that this industry has been for decades, again, yeah. 20 some odd years. And it's actually moving the needle in a direction that we don't want to see it. Because again, if there's no accountability, yep. then it bolsters the argument of the left to eliminate the accountability process. Yeah. We got a few minutes left here uh, as we, as we kind of start wrapping up, but I do want to shift it a little bit and talk about the rising crime, not just in the city of Wichita, but really across the entire nation that we've seen. I think because of high inflation, because of economic stress, because of mental health issues that we can go into, uh, Cedric County is set to be building one of the bigger mental health facilities mm -hmm. here in the next couple of years. Um, do you think that's going to help? And with the rising crime, have you seen that firsthand with the business with more people needing bail services right now? Yeah. So, you know, the rise in crime is something that is is absolutely on our mind. Um, it's something that we have attempted to deal with in Topeka um, every single year based on the statistics that we're seeing, right? Because if you don't have strong consequence for the actions, then then what's the incentive for people to not commit crimes? I mean, what was it? Uh, we saw the, the the mob crimes of these retail thefts that are going on and there's just no accountability. It's just like, yeah, okay, go ahead. Well, you know, then that, without accountability, it, it encourages more criminal activity. Well, and soon we're not going to see stores. We see Target leaving California right now. They're just like, I'm out. We can't, we can't afford this with how much you guys are just taking from and, us. And I think that's great, to be quite yeah. honest. Oh, because absolutely. until these hardcore blue states get the picture that their economies are going to suffer, that their tax base is going to suffer for these poor decisions. I think that's the only thing that's going to turn it around. I mean, look at how many stores have moved out of San Francisco. Yeah. You know, the reality is you've got to have tough on crime policies. That is what the Republican Party stands for. Now, we can be, we can do our best, which you know I'm passionate about. You take substance use, for example. Sure. Right. We need to get those folks treated. We need to recognize what is leading to the criminal activity. Exactly. And let's treat that. Same thing with mental health. Sure. I've said a long time that if we could fix the substance use issue and the mental health issue, our prisons would have half the people in them that yeah. they do right now because that drives a lot of this. Yeah. But we can't use those as an excuse to turn felonies into a misdemeanor, to raise thresholds on what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. 
Right. There's, there's a big difference. And like you said, there's a big difference between actually treating the underlying cause, which is what we need to do. We can't just throw people in jail for the sake of throwing them in jail. Right. We have to treat Absolutely. the underlying cause of it. But at the same time, not using the underlying cause as a victimhood status to justify what they're doing. And be like, OK, well, I guess we're not going to get you in trouble because, well, you have all these issues. There's a line there. So let's take a break real quick. When we come back, I want to focus on that when we come back for the last segment. Wrapping up hour number one, State Representative Stephen Owens. Owens bonding. You can go and check them out as we talk about ways to try and lower crime rates, recognize what's going on in society and how we can fix some of these issues. Deep stuff on a Saturday morning. I know. Wake up. Sip that cup of coffee. Let's get you up and going here for a Saturday right here on Kansas Talk. All right, got a few minutes left here of hour number one. Oh, how the time flies right on by so quickly. Man, we could talk about this forever. Yeah, the fastest hour in history. I'm telling you, fastest hour of radio in, well, radio. Welcome back into it. 316-721-8255. Hanging out with State Representative Stephen Owens. uh, Owens bonding as well. In the last couple of minutes we have, we just teased like some of the deeper issues. Again, uh, we used to, back in the day, just throw someone in jail for causing a crime. I think Governor Sam Brownback did a great job of actually doing some rehabilitation programs in jail for the retention rate to have not people return back. And it seemed to work very well. And we continue to do some of those things. We, yeah. we look at what's getting people in and how do we reintegrate them into society afterwards as a big, big focus of mine. Exactly. So now the question is, how do we work on preventative measures? Instead of trying to rehabilitate after, how do we work on the preventative measures and the underlying causes? Instead of just throwing people in jail for doing bad things, but real trying to understand why they're doing the things that they're doing to change that behavior. We talked about drugs and addictive behavior, you know, whatever it may be. Obviously, the economy and stress and personal stress is, is a whole other issue that we can help out from a governmental level, but we can't really help out much on the financial level or personal level. But what are some of those deep-rooted issues that we could try to focus on for that preventative measure of crime? You know, Andy, <laughs> I've said this since I ran for office six years ago. The degradation of society can be directly tied back to the degradation of the family unit, mm. right? When you get away from the family structure, that true instituted the structure of God, yeah. then you get away from the fundamentals of morals and ethics, and right and wrong and things like that. Now, to be clear, I'm not knocking any single parents. Sure. My daughter is a single parent. Sure. I, I get it, right? I get those struggles. But the reality is it has become generally accepted that almost you, promoted. Almost promoted that, you know, you don't have to have a father and a mother to have a child. But we know when both of those exist that you're gonna have the best outcomes that you can have for a child. When they are raised in a traditional family, there's no question about that. And we tend to not want to have those conversations anymore because the left wants to drag us further and further down the, you know, LGBTQ, all that stuff type of conversations that that really is actually counter to the importance of traditional values. Well, and Um, it drives away from the parents. Absolutely. Your parents aren't going to understand you, so come with us. Yeah, which, uh, come on, kids go through Christ uh, or you know identity crises all the time. But 
But that's that's a whole other conversation. I think I'm for a Viking. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if we would get back to a situation where we're focusing on those values, one of the things that uh, you may or may not know is I'm also chairman of the Kansas Truth Caucus, which is the largest conservative caucus of representatives and senators in the state of Kansas. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about this just yesterday. What can we as a caucus do who truly believes in those traditional values to return the conversation back to what we know the most successful model is for our children, which is the family and being part of a family and traditional family values? Yeah, that's a hard conversation to have. But like you said, I and I mentioned this off the air, I would love to see government campaigns as we see campaigns for wearing masks or getting the vaccine or not drinking and driving all these PSAs to promote certain ideas. That's an idea that we have to promote is the family values, getting back to the family units and those traditional values. And whether, whether people like to rebel against them or not, the fact is that they work and we have to lead by example by showing how they actually Absolutely. Work. And men need to step up their game. They need to own their decisions. They need to be fathers, period. Calling them out. Absolutely. Calling them out. State Representative Stephen Owens, we're out of time, my friend. It's always a pleasure. Well, we could do this for another hour. We or two. could, totally. I appreciate you, Andy. Yeah. Thanks for taking up the hard subject. Hey, always a pleasure. That's what we do. State Representative Stephen Owens there. Owens Bonding. Go and check those guys out. When we come back, hour number two, we'll get open lines to you. We'll talk about government shutdowns. We'll talk about the GOP in the state of Kansas with their meeting today. Also, Cedric County Sheriff Jeff Easter will be swinging by to talk about some legal and law issues as well. Hour number one in the books right here on Kansas Talk on KQAM. Truth Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is our number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 AM, 99.7 HD4 on the FM side, plus our friends out in Garden City, KIUL 1240. On the AM Dale, welcome aboard. Wonderful to have you with another Saturday morning trying to get you up and moving. It is going to be another weird, warm weekend going into October. I don't quite understand why, and I'm very angry about it because I want the fall. I want the Halloween feeling. We had it like two weeks ago. What the hell happened to that? Where it was nice and like 60 degrees, kind of foggy. All the leaves were starting to change. I had a few leaves fall in my yard. I was totally okay with that, but by golly, now... It's back up to the 90s. Driving me nuts. Welcome into it. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We will see Central County Sheriff Jeff Easter. So I think I made a mistake. I We emailed. We've been emailing back and forth like last week, and I did not follow up with him this week. So he may have forgotten because he's a super busy guy, and I was a dork and didn't um, remind him. So we'll see if he shows up. If so, we'll get him in studio. If not, we'll get him rescheduled at another time. Not a big deal, but that's my bet on that one because it was a busy week and I didn't follow up to make sure that he remembered to come in this morning. And he is obviously extremely busy with a lot of stuff. So we'll look forward to chatting with him very soon, whether it's today on the program or later on. But until then, not a problem. We have a lot of stuff to talk about today. The federal government shutdown looming. They have until today to figure out a deal and let me see here i'm trying to scroll um yeah we're just hours away and no deal has been made so far yesterday the house representatives voted to agree to discuss a bill a stopgap funding bill or continuing resolution 
and then ended up not voting on it, shooting it down because, well, we had Kevin McCarthy now saying that Republicans better get on board because, well, it has immigration funding in there to try and stop the flow of immigrants. Now, what they also don't say is that it also leads to the idea of uh, citizenship and amnesty for every illegal that's come in under the Biden administration. But according to Kevin McCarthy, he's now turning on the Republicans and saying that either you vote for the stopgap funding or you're siding with Joe Biden on illegal immigration and open border policies because this bill has it in there. So regardless of how much money we're spending, which is going to financially ruin the nation, doesn't matter if you don't support it, then you support Joe Biden in open border policies. That was the quote that he made yesterday uh, going into that vote. It didn't happen and it didn't work. And now we're looking at the potential government shutdown now. So I ask you across the state of Kansas, wherever you may be at 316-721-8255, will the government shutdown affect you? Will it affect your business? Will it affect your work? And I'm sure there will be some, maybe some government contract work. The aviation industry here in the Wichita area, maybe they won't get a government contract to build a new airplane. Maybe construction work that was funded by the Department of Transportation at the federal level. Maybe they'll halt some of that. But let's remember, and I said this on the program yesterday for our weekday version of The Voice of Reason, that when the government shuts down, it is up to the government and strictly really by even the executive branch and the president of the United States to decide what will be shut down what will stop getting funding, and what will continue to operate. And it's different for every administration and every government because they want certain things to hurt specifically so that way they can say, look at what you're doing, evil Republicans, when you just don't go along with willy-nilly with the increase in government spending. Look what you're doing to these vulnerable people that are now suffering because of you, even though they're the ones that decided not to fund that portion of the government. They decide that. Remember, the last time we really did this was under the Barack Obama administration when he shut down all of the monuments in Washington, D.C., all of the tours through the White House, all of the Vietnam Wall memorials and everything else that's in D.C. that people can go and see. They shut all those down saying, we don't have the money to fund the security agents. Now, those weren't shut down in other government shutdowns, but they were shut down then. So that way they could say, oh, look, that veteran that wanted to go see their memorial, they weren't allowed to because of you. And that's the argument they always try to use. So uh, as the government is set to shut down potentially by tonight, unless they miraculously come out with some type of an agreement, then what will they shut down? What will they punish? Who will they punish? And how will they try to twist this to blame it on the uh, to the, the the strong conservative right wing um, evil, horrible individuals that uh refuse to compromise and just go along with massive government spending. So on the individual level here across the state of Kansas, wherever you may be, where and how will it be affecting you in your daily life? And do you feel very scared that the government won't be there for you in the couple of days to take care of you when we come back to work on Monday? So I want to talk about that. Also, I want to, before we go any further, I do want to give you an update as there is the big state Republican meeting coming up today. I highly encourage anybody that's able to go to go to that meeting and listen to what's going on. I wish I could make it. I was asked to attend as an alternative delegate for the state of Kansas and the Republican Party. Obviously not able to make it with the radio program, but I will do my due diligence by reporting on it here on the show and next week as well after it's all said and done to get an update and to bring the awareness to you. So I still want to be active and participating in this conversation. I got an email from State Representative Pat Proctor. We've had him on the show once or twice before. He's a great individual uh, who uh, is advocating for individuals to vote no on these proposed rule changes 
in the state GOP. Now, for those that don't know what these rule changes are, let me just reiterate to you that they are really, really dumb and they make no sense on why we're focusing on this when we should be focused on trying to fundraise going into a major election season in 2024. But that's not what we're doing, apparently, at the statewide Republican Party. And I feel bad, honestly, for all of the state Republican uh, elected officials in the legislature and elsewhere that do not have a structured statewide party to assist them in their messaging, to assist them as much as they should be in the elections, because right now we are in shambles as a state Republican Party. And I hate to say that because we're kind of giving away our secret, but it's not much of a secret right now. And the state Democrat Party, honestly and scarily, has more campaign funding, or at least they did about a couple of months ago, than what we did at that point. And just to put that into perspective for you, just so you're aware, there are more registered independents and unaffiliateds in the state of Kansas than there are registered Democrats. <laughs> Republicans have the number one ranking for the most uh, registrations. Then it was the unaffiliateds and independents. Then it was Democrats. And yet the Democrat Party seems to be more structured right now. That, to me, is a cause for concern when we're trying to maintain a supermajority in our state legislature next year because of the things that we need to do, that we need to counter from Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. And if we don't have a structured Republican Party, that could be pretty devastating for us uh, moving forward. So this rule change is not helping that cause. And in fact, it could even, whether that's the intention or not, in the political spectrum and the way the optics look, does not look good for us at all in any way, shape, or form. As according to State Representative Pat Proctor, who emailed a lot of the delegates across the state, said, quote, it is unfortunate that so much of the attention about this rule change has focused on the removal of the Kansas Federation of Republican Women, the Kansas Republican Black Caucus, and other groups from representation in the executive committee and as state delegates. And for those that don't know what's going on here, they say, according to the new leadership in the state Republican Party, that these different delegations, these different organizations trying to reach different communities in the state are racist, bigoted, whatever, and that therefore just because that we have this group, this organization of black women or of Hispanics or of whatever, that we need to remove them from the committees and oversights at the executive level at the statewide party, which I understand from the concept that we don't like identity politics. I understand from the concept and from the angle of not wanting to divide people based on certain groups of race, religion, skin color, gender, yada, yada, which is what we criticize the Democrats for. That being said, we also need to reach those communities. And I am so excited that we're finally starting to reach out to the Hispanic community, especially here in the in the Wichita area. I've told you many times before with our sister station over at La Raza 102.5, our Spanish radio station that's just a few doors away from me right now as we speak, that we're si finally starting to reach out to them. Congressman Ron Estes, our very own congressman here in the 4th District, when he ran his last campaign, he reached out to that community and ran political campaign ads on there. And you don't realize coming from the radio side from the inside here behind the scenes you don't realize the positive outreach from that community calling the station thanking him for advertising and reaching out to their community because they say that while they have many republican values no republicans ever talk to them no republicans ever reach out to them no republican ever reaches and extends out that communication to them and they feel isolated so they never vote republican and the outpouring of that community when he ran those ads was unbelievable from behind the scenes, from the radio aspect of it, with the calls that we got into the studios. 
they're desperate to hear Republicans try to communicate and try to talk to them, talking about hard work ethic that Democrats don't promote, talking about family values that Democrats don't promote, talking about trying to bring people together and the opportunities to start businesses and live the American dream that Democrats don't like to talk about unless you do it through them with a government grant because you're super special because of your gender or identity. We have the freedom. We have the ability. We have the American dream agenda on our side. And the Democrats don't. And we have to let people know about that. And we just need to reach out to them. So having a black caucus, having a Hispanic caucus, having a women caucus, while we don't like identity politics, needing and using those and utilizing them to bring them into the fold for the Republican Party to promote conservative agendas is absolutely necessary. Now, we don't like to segregate based on that, but we like to use those organizations to bring them into the greater conversation, which is what we're trying to do. And I don't understand the thought process and the logic that the state Republican Party is doing to do these rule changes. And I wish to God I could be there, but the best I can do is let you know what the heck's going on, because there's going to be a major discussion today with the state Republican Party. I believe it's in Manhattan today, later on. And there's going to be the vote on whether we do this rule change to eliminate these different caucuses within the Republican Party from sitting at the executive table at the state party level. Your thoughts on this? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Are we going in the right direction for the Republican Party? And will you be affected by this government shutdown that we could see lingering because the government won't be the save us in a couple of days? I know. Very scary. Let's go to the phone, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, fight the power, Andy. Fight the power, man. What's happening? Oh, dude. You know, speaking of inflation, um, last weekend, uh, the old lady and I got stuck babysitting uh, <clears throat> my nephew. So uh, <clears throat> after uh, after church, he wanted to go over to this nearby um, elementary school you know, play for a little bit. We're doing lunch. So, uh, now let me tell you how smart he is. He's only seven years old. Okay. And we're over there. We're sitting on the swing, on the swing set, you know, on the swings. And, um, <clears throat> he starts, ex- um, ex- um, expressing his concern, concerns about inflation and how his, uh, <clears throat> weekly allowance just wasn't buying the amount of candy it used to buy when Trump was president. Mm, that is a concern. Yeah. And then um, also <clears throat> he's complaining about, you know, time management, how fast time is flying. And, and uh, you know, while it's good because it makes the school year go by faster, the summer break is just nothing. There's just no time to have all the fun he wants to have, you know, like going swimming and riding a skateboard and throwing rocks at cars, you know, things kids like to do. Sure. (laughs) I mean, you got three months, but that is a little restraining. Yeah. So anyway, I was just about ready to, uh, address, address the situation when, when all of a sudden, poof, Jesus appears in the swing sitting on the other side of him. And, um, you know, he looks at him and says, oh, hi, Lord. We was learning about you this morning in Sunday school. Anyway, I've got a question for you, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, what what's a billion years like to you? And the Lord said, oh, man, that's nothing. It's like a second sooner. And he said, really? Wow. He says, well, what's a billion dollars like to you? 
billion dollars? It's like a penny. So he thought about it for a second, scratched his head, and and he said, uh, I said, Lord, could I have a billion dollars? And the Lord said, just a second. (laughs) Mm, I like it. I like it. Well done. Well done. Well, it's going to take us a while to get a billion dollars, especially under the Biden economy today, right? Yeah. You know, the, 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 uh, I got my pension, by the way. So, um, that's, that's good. But, uh, the the, the shutdown, (laughs) I can hardly wait for it to shut down, you know, because it'd be good for the country. Yeah, it's going to be good for the country. Well, I, I mean, it is a reset. Now, look, they say that we've shut down the government more in the last couple of decades than what we ever had before, but I think that's a good sign, honestly, the fact that people, at least enough people, some people are aware of the disaster that that's lingering and that we're trying to bring awareness to that. And if it's slowing down government to pause for a second, remind them of why we need to do what we're doing, then so be it. I mean, that's what we have to do. I understand the negative ramifications of it, but... At some point, we have to draw the line and say this is a, uh, a, a, a uh, I guess, a necessary evil for us to do in order to bring that awareness of what we need to do to fix the country. Well, I never heard of government shutdowns before uh, Clinton uh, got in the White House. Uh, <clears throat> but they apparently, I thought I heard, uh, I, I've heard Mark Levin talk about it twice in the last few years and um just the other day and uh i think the very first president to order a government shutdown was uh uh gerald ford uh over a budget impasse with congress and it was only two or three days you know they've never really been very long shutdowns every president since ford has had to order a government shutdown a few times, you know, uh, Carter, Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush. So, um, they, I, it's not really, I don't think it's going to really hurt anything, you know, because the government never really shuts down anyway. Yeah, I no, mean, there's, there's always- look, they're shut down every weekend, so I think we can survive. We're going to be okay. Yeah, the longest shutdown that's, that's ever lasted was 35 days. Most of the time, like you said, it lasts just a couple of days because then people go into panic and, oh, these government agencies can't operate, they can't function, they can't do anything, which I would like to remind conservatives that if you're very scared about the shadow of being attacked for shutting down the government, you would think maybe this would be a great opportunity for us to advocate to say, hey, if those resources and those uh, services aren't working at the federal level, maybe we can talk about bringing them down to the state level and making the federal government even smaller. Then when we come back because of the budget issues, be like, well, it's already at the state level, so why do we need to fund them at the federal level any longer? So that's, uh, I think, an optimistic side that we can run on for us. Sean, I appreciate it. i got to take a break here. We're running late on one, but uh, good information and not concerned about the federal government. Are you? Are you worried about the government shutdown coming up in a couple of days? What could it do to affect your life? Like, I can't think of any. So, I guess we'll have to think a little bit harder and see what it could do moving forward. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Stay here.
26 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. So we have our major state Republican meeting going on today. Some rule changes that I don't quite understand why we're doing any rule changes on because, well, I think we're focusing on the wrong things right now. But we'll keep you posted on what's happening there. We may get... Uh, we may get the Cedric County Republican Party on next week after the vote to see exactly how this turned out and what state we're in going into election season 2024. Also, by the way, we're going into October, which means we are a month away from election time, which means we'll start talking in some more candidates here uh, coming up soon as well. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. They were voted in 2022 for best of from the Wichita Eagle for best appliance repair in the area. Definitely got to check them out. I know we're going into holiday season now. The trifecta between Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas, New Year's and everything else that has going on. The family, the friends, the barbecues, the the cook-offs, the having the fun, the chili cook-offs. I saw a chili cook-off going on now that the... Well, we're supposed to see cooler weather, but we're not quite seeing cooler weather. Don't let your appliances fail you when you're trying to make all the holiday dinners and meals. You don't want that to happen. Napoleon Appliance Repair, they can help out with anything that you have. Uh, Any of your appliances, whether the old school stuff that's reliable that just needs like parts replaced to the computerized ones that tell you when carrots are empty in your refrigerator and kind of creeps me out a little bit. They can help you out with all of it. Go and check them out, 316-409-1525, 316-409-1525. Call Napoleon Appliance Repair. You can also follow them on their Facebook page at Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. Go and check them out. Mike and Mike can help you. They are wonderful individuals, great partners here on KQAM, great friends here on the show on Candace Talk as well. We're going to get them back on the show too soon uh, to talk about some of the fall festivities and how you can prepare your appliances and what to do if you start seeing some issues to get it taken care of right away. Maybe what some of those signs are when your appliances may start to fail you. Napoleon Appliance Repair, we love them to death, appreciate them very much, and make sure to go and check them out going into the holiday season. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. The government shutdown, according to the Small Business Association, may be affecting some jobs here in the Wichita area I'm trying to scratch my head and understand which ones, except for maybe like government contracted aviation jobs, building things for like NASA or something. I don't know. Or maybe the Department of Transportation from Pete Buttigieg, although we could probably, you know, let him go home for a while. That wouldn't be too terribly bad. So what could be affected here on the on the home front here in the state of Kansas overall and in the Wichita area with a potential government shutdown moving forward? I don't quite know, but will it still be worth it with conservatives that are saying, wait a second. Maybe we need some financial uh, responsibility, which Kevin McCarthy said he was going to do. And we're seeing a completely different story now by blaming Republicans for siding with Joe Biden on open border policies because they didn't vote for the stopgap funding bill yesterday. <laughs> That's hilarious. When we come back, Central County Sheriff Jeff Easter. We'll shift gears a little bit, talk about law enforcement. We'll talk about uh, crime rates and everything going on in the community as well. How are things happening on the local front? All that more coming up right here on Candace Talk on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Stay right here. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. 
Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Kansas Talk on the home front. Last half hour of the program. The Weekend with Michael Brown coming out of Denver, Colorado. That'll be live coming up uh, at 11 o'clock here on both KQAM and KIUL as we broadcast out in Garden City as well. So welcome aboard. 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. But I want to shift gears a little bit. It has been so long since I've had this next guest in studio, and I feel bad because we love to keep up on issues going on in the community and it's just been so busy we haven't had a chance to get him in here but really happy to have back on Sedgwick County Sheriff Jeff Easter. Sheriff how are you my friend? Good happy to be here I appreciate yeah. you inviting me again. It is so good to chat with you there's so much to talk about because really since last time we've talked <laughs> things have changed quite dramatically I they think. They have yeah. yeah quite a bit. Uh, to start it off though we uh, in the last hour we were hanging out with uh, uh, State Representative Stephen Owens mm-hmm. and we were talking a lot of the bonding issues because the legislature apparently want to go do some reforms on bail bonds in the state of Kansas. And we were talking about the potential dangers of that and looking at Illinois that's gotten rid of bail bonds, mm-hmm. California allowing just $950 worth of loot to be stolen without law enforcement being able to do anything. Dallas seeing a 300% increase in crime after getting rid of bail bonds. Um, and now we see this case here with this half million dollar bond from this kid that's ended up shooting somebody that really sparked a lot of this conversation. But uh, from the law enforcement perspective, isn't it an incentive for a law enforcement officer to go and arrest somebody knowing that they're going to be back out on the street two hours from now because they don't have to actually post a bail? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a it's a very kind of delicate subject because, as you know, um, we have constitutional rights here in this country. Yeah. Uh, and the constitutional right to be able to, for against excess bonds, be able to bond out is a right we have. And so that's a delicate balance. Um, and for years, the judges have had to balance, okay, what is excessive bail? What is the right amount of bail? Uh, to assess for the type of crime that's been alleged. Yeah. And so uh, what's what's kind of changed now is is that we have a few bonding companies that have decided uh, that they're going to charge 1% of that bond instead of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of always a gentleman's agreement with the bond companies that you wouldn't go lower than 10. Well, these two companies decided to do 1%. Right. That's what's really sparked this discussion at this point. I will tell you that um, – it is your original question. That's been going on even when I was a beat cop. I mean, there are certain <laughs> crimes, suspended licenses, those type of things. Right. Before I got my paperwork done, they were walking out the door, which is fine. Right. I mean, for those type of crimes. But when you're talking violent crimes, that's a problem. Sure. Uh, and, you know, there's some mechanisms already in place. They're just not exercised. Uh, if, you know, a bonding company, say, like this individual had a $500,000 bond, 1%, it's only five grand instead of the 10 of 50. Yeah. Um, that's easier to probably afford, but it's also easier to say, it's only five grand, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to run, I'm going to whatever. Yeah. And the mechanism that's in place is, is a judge can hold those bonding companies responsible for the remaining, remaining 495,000 they got to cough up. Sure. It's not done. Yeah. I think that's a mechanism that needs to be exercised, uh, again, by the judges to say, okay, if you're going to do this kind of stuff, then we're going to hold you responsible for uh, posting bonds like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly. I know um, Representative Owens has talked about there needs to be maybe look at minimums on percentages, those type of things. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, but we also have to be very careful um, because I know a couple years ago there was some legislation introduced uh, for bond reform uh, that's similar to what's like in San Francisco and Dallas and those type of places. Well, you see what's going on there. Yeah. We cannot have that here. Uh, there still has to be a mechanism, and it, unfortunately it's with with money, yeah. uh, that makes these people come back to court. 
Sure. Uh, and when they do bond out. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a delicate subject. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I think that, you know, if, as long as everybody gets together and kind of comes up with uh, the same type of thinking on it, right? Uh, I think there is some legislation that can be passed. But there's other mechanisms that could be utilized right now to stop some of this stuff. Sure. Yeah, it is a, a cause for concern. Now, I know last time, and again, this has been a while, so I know you guys have been working on this, but um, talking about people going in and out of jail, uh, we had heard the reports that the Central County Jail was really full and that you guys had a shortage of workers to be able to maintain some of that. How was that situation right now? Uh, better? Much better. Uh, yeah, so we you know, we had uh, 1,600 inmates last summer. Um, <laughs> we have wow. 1,150 this year. Wow. And so part of that is because crime is down. Sure. Uh, part of that is uh, the courts are back up and running full speed ahead. Uh, and... Same with our personnel. You know, we were down 127 people uh, shortly after COVID started. Uh, it just went downhill from there uh, to the point where we were 127 deputies in the jail short, which is over half our staff. Sure. Uh, and so for two years, all everybody that works for the sheriff's office, including myself, is picking up shifts inside the jail to, to uh, help maintain safety and security. Sure. And so... Uh, but we're on an uptick now. Uh, we're about 65 deputies down, uh, so we've cut it by almost in half. That's good. Uh, we're getting ready to graduate 15 uh, in a couple weeks, and we're getting ready to have another class of 20. And so uh, it, it's that looks looking much better. I think there's several reasons for that. I mean, you know, we had the George Floyd murder that took place uh, that really stained law enforcement, and we've seen a lot of people going, I don't want a part of that. Uh, you had COVID hit, uh, and all of that, happened and i think we're starting to see an upward trend to folks coming back to law enforcement i will tell you the the commission that we work with right now is fantastic uh they understood everybody's concerns and public safety uh and they gave really good raises uh to um everybody in the sheriff's office but particularly with the detention deputies sure uh so i have to put my plug in there if you want to come work <laughs> for the uh, sheriff's office yeah we start out at twenty three fifty an hour uh, which uh, I think is really attributed to why people have come back sure. uh, or started applying. Uh, the good thing about that is is that the way our step plan is done, uh, in 10 years, uh, if you stay a deputy, you will top out at 80000 And for a 19-year-old kid coming out of high school without an education, yep. that's pretty it's good not money. Bad. That's not yeah. bad at all, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad you guys have been focusing on it, and it, it, I'm glad that things are getting better. That is good news because yeah. for, for the longest time, you said mostly through COVID, but with the George Floyd issue, uh, it, it took such a hit. People wanted nothing to do with putting on the uniform because it was a scary time. Yeah. It was a very scary time. So uh, it, it, that's getting better, and that's really good to hear. Uh, at the same time, though, crime continues to increase. So it's hard to kind of, even though we're seeing more officers on the streets or at least going through the training and going through the camps to get on the streets, we're seeing crime not just in the area but in the entire nation right now on the increase right now, and that's a cause for concern too, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, when you look at the statistics, one murder uh, is too many. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, as far as homicides here, uh, they're slightly decreased compared to a couple of years in the past. Uh, property crimes, yeah, there's a little bit of decrease, but they rose so highly that we're still not sure. where we were four or five years ago. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, crime is. We can say it's decreasing a little bit, and yes, it is, but it's still not where it was five years ago. Interesting. And so, uh, as What's the far number as, one crime right now, um, yeah, a lot of your property crimes. The property uh, crimes. property crimes are um, uh, staying steady or going up a little bit. Um, 
And the number one uh, issue that we're facing is fentanyl and drugs. I yeah. mean, that's what's driving all of this stuff. So uh, Yeah, it's it's a... I worked the streets in Wichita when crack cocaine came here, and we saw that uh, yeah. happen, and it, it devastated communities. Uh, and the crime just tripled. Um, methamphetamine's been the big drug here. Uh, and so, you know, we've seen crime tick up and stay steady. Um, with the influx of fentanyl now, uh, it's, it's like crack cocaine was in the 90s. And it's highly addictive. Um, you know, obviously, you're going to die from it. Yeah. Uh, and the problem is it's so cheap. Uh, and so when it first hit here, we was paying about $8 a pill. Uh, we're buying it now for a dollar. And at the Holy border, God. they're buying it for 50, 60 cents. Which means that price is probably coming oh, up here coming at some here. point. Yeah. 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 What are they? Is it the straight pill when you when you do confiscate, when you find someone with it? Is it the straight um, concentrate pill of fentanyl? Is it something that's laced with fentanyl? What are you mm-hmm. finding right now? Yeah. So most of what we take off uh, the streets and through interdiction is the pill form. We have had uh, the crystal or powder form uh, bags of it. We have seized that in different wow. raids. <clears throat> Excuse me. But mainly it's the pill form. The problem with fentanyl, though, is is we're seeing it across the board in marijuana, heroin, methamphetamine. It doesn't adhere very well to, to meth as much. Sure. But we're really seeing it in marijuana and uh, heroin, and then they're cutting it with uh, cocaine. So you're seeing it across the board. Just on everything. Yeah. Right. People knowing that just one single pill of fentanyl could kill you, I mean, what's the fascination with it? What kind of high does it even give you? I don't uh, even know. It's a pretty intense high uh, really? is what, what I get told. And and. You know, there's you have your hardcore drug users that have been using drugs for years, so this is another intense high. But I will tell you, part of the issue here is, you know, we got told by the pharmaceutical companies you can't get addicted to painkillers, but you could. <laughs> uh, and so the Percocets and those type of things. Yeah. Well, then the doctors shut off those prescriptions. These yeah. folks that had, you know, chronic injuries, knee uh, surgeries that were still in pain, that's what they turned to. Wow. Um, because fentanyl is a drug that helps put you to sleep when you have surgery so it's a pretty intense drug and you have the cartels down there mixing it up with a boat paddle right and you don't know how many granules of fentanyl you got in one pill you could have none you could have 20 wow uh, because of the way it's mixed up and so you never know what you're getting Uh, and it's it's a real issue that is very scary Uh, especially you mentioned marijuana i didn't know it could be laced with marijuana as well it's like the actual bud that you smoke, or is it in like the vape forms, or what do they mix it with? We have not seen it in the vape forms yet. Okay. Um, but, you know, you can put a granule inside there, but you can also melt it down and spray it uh, on your marijuana oh cigarette or those type of things. And so, uh, you know, a lot of kids um, in high school and those type of things, they don't drink as much, but they smoke a lot of marijuana. Sure. Uh, and that's the problem uh, with it is that... Uh, you have uh, this potentially in there. I tell you, the, the other thing that's really scary, because we're seeing it here now, uh, is it's mixed with xylazine, which is a horse tranquilizer. And so... Uh, that, it already puts you to sleep. Why would you need a tranquilizer? And it, yeah, it really <laughs> reduces your respiratory system. Wow. And so, you know, the Narcan that, you know, people take to bring them back and those type of things, it won't touch xylazine. And so... Um, and then there's a new one coming out, Zytodine or something like that. We haven't seen that yet, but we've seen two cases of carfentanil, which is twice as deadly as fentanyl. And so that's coming as well. So it's it's nonstop. And I don't know if you wanted to segue into this, but that's my opinion why we got to close off the border. Yeah. Um, the, the drugs that are getting in here, and we're a very drug-addicted society, and it equates to all crime. It equates yeah. to all the victims of property crime, 
are DV crime, are uh, murders, those type of things. It's just that's mind blowing. We got to figure out a way to stop the stuff from coming and get these folks into rehab and. Uh, hopefully get them back and being productive citizens. Well, and we're that straight shot from the border. We talked with uh, Tony Mativi quite a bit for the KBI, mm-hmm. and he talks about just the the devastation that it is having statewide right now and with you guys doing these operations, trying to bust it. But, yeah, we are that straight shot, so we're kind of the distribution hub, aren't we, here in we, Kansas? Yes. I mean, you, you have 54 and you have I-135, two main arteries that for years when it was cocaine, that's where it was, when it was uh, methamphetamine because that's made by the cartels now too. Um we are a distribution hub up towards Kansas City, Minneapolis, uh, or, you know, off to the East Coast. So um, there is a lot that comes through here. And if we get 10%, we're lucky of what's coming through here. Wow. Just a scary thought. We're talking with Cedric County Sheriff Jeff Easter. Let's take a break real quick. It is a it is a sad ordeal that we're seeing so much of this in this area. We'll talk about some more of how we can prevent that moving forward. Also, I want to talk about some of the other issues that have gone on with the swatting call that we heard from a couple of months ago at some of the schools, or what was it, a month ago or so when that happened. I don't know. My time's always disoriented. So we'll talk about that on if we've heard any latest from there and where we're at with some of the other crime rates around the area, working with communities, getting things back on track now that we're going into the fall season. We could see some of that going away as well. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talk or KQAM Stadium. Welcome back into the program. Oh, how time flies. We could talk about this forever. There's so much to get to and so little time to do it. we got a call on the line. We'll try and sneak you in here in just a few minutes as well. Right now, though, we're hanging out with Central County Sheriff Jeff Easter talking about crime rates, fentanyl, the drugs. You blew my mind in this last segment. I had no clue that you could do so much with this stuff. And then to even think about, which I never thought about the fentanyl, you know, obviously putting you to sleep and, and using that as an alternative for the pain management, that goes into my ongoing hatred against the pharmaceutical industry on how we got to this point in the first place. I think they're largely to contribute to this issue that we're seeing. But then to put horse tranquilizer and other things in there where you're already wanting to go to sleep and get this high and then put a tranquilizer that puts you to sleep on top of it, like you have no chance. You're just That's impossible to try and survive. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, and that's the scary part because our you know overdose deaths have really risen over the last three years, uh, and that was pretty much just straight fentanyl. Wow. Um, and then you throw xylazine, and we're seeing overdose deaths uh, from the mixture. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, there's nothing that's going to bring you back from that. I yeah. Mean, it, it, and the other thing is, we know the stuff's getting stronger uh, because when the stu- when fentanyl first came here, is maybe one two doses of Narcan that you gave somebody. We're up to four and five to bring them back. Wow. Uh, Has it helped with the uh, with the changing of having uh, um, the private sector with people and law enforcement carrying Narcan on them at all times? Absolutely. Has that helped? Yeah, absolutely it has. Okay. Uh, because there's, for like county deputies, <clears throat> it is, you know, we might be seven, ten minutes away before EMS gets there. Sure. Uh, and so, uh, you know, our deputies are administering uh, Narcan, um, still giving CPR or chest compressions uh, until EMS gets there. And then they'll Narcan them two to three more times and then they finally come back. Uh, so yeah, it's it. The stuff's getting stronger. That's sad. Real quickly, uh, on the other side, you said this. I've always we've had a lingering problem with like methamphetamine and being grown around here. Is that still a local thing that's made, or is that imported in? No, it's all imported in from the cartels. There's really no labs here. Okay, um, you know the state legislator did a wonderful job several years ago on the Matt Samuel's law, uh, which cut out all the meth labs here. 
Okay. Uh, but again, it's all cartel driven. If we really want to solve this problem, we need to go after the cartels. Plain yeah, and simple. Cut the head off the dragon uh, there. Yeah. Because they drive the markets. And so when they introduced all this methamphetamine, they raised the prices of cocaine, got people addicted to meth. They're doing the same thing with fentanyl now. So the meth prices have gone up, fentanyl's gone down. They're switching the drug on people mm. uh, to be addicted to. They have and their own economy again. and supply demand oh, yeah. issue on what they're going to try business. and promote. <laughs> wow. Blows my mind how crazy that is. We got just a couple of minutes left here, but I do want to ask a couple, what was it, a month or two ago, we had the uh, the swatting calls that went through the area. with it. They hit tons of different uh, um, schools all over the state of Kansas, a lot of them here in the Wichita area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked with Tony Mativi about that as well on the investigations, but have you heard anything? I know this is a thing that's been going on nationwide in different states and they hit different pockets at different times but do we know what's going on here and uh, where are we at with the investigation yeah that i don't know that's a kbi led investigation Uh, i know we had some schools here in the wichita uh, school district none of the school districts out in the county uh, that we're responsible for had those kind of calls Um, they're scary Uh, they're scary for uh, the schools the kids for the cops responding because you you see this stuff all over the nation where there's actual shootings going on in there. I mean, right. it, it really amps you up in those type of things. And so, you know, these folks that do this are either crazy uh, or just mean-spirited people yeah. uh, because uh, to the amount of chaos that they cause in a short short amount of time and the money spent, the resources spent, kids that see stuff on the news that know that this has happened there, you know, they got to bring in counselors to talk to some of those kids because they are traumatized boys. Oh, by yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, you know, with cops walking in with rifles and locking everybody down and those type of things can be traumatizing to kids. And Absolutely. So, we went through, I just, we celebrated our 17th anniversary memorial of the high school shooting I went through my senior year out in Colorado. And it's, it is, it's traumatizing. It's, it's something when you're locked down for six hours at a time, knowing that someone's there harming kids, it's, mm-hmm. it's a devastation. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, we got just about a minute or so left here as we wrap up, but uh, overall crime rates, doing better it sounds like we're at least focusing on issues the relationship with communities that are getting better you guys working on um on staffing issues it sounds like overall we're moving in the right direction even though we still have a lot of work to do yeah we have a lot of work to do uh, but i will tell you we're moving in the right direction and and, uh, chief sullivan has come here has done a great job in my opinion our relationship uh, between the police department sheriff's office is very good now yeah uh, very solid the federal partners are really stepping up with us locally uh, to combat some of these problems so that, that you know, the citizens of Cedric County uh, should know that law enforcement does work together here. Yeah. And Joe's doing a great job over there, uh, and I, we're moving in the right direction. Are we always going to have issues, and we got to sure. come up with ways to address those issues? Yes, all the time. Uh, but from a standpoint of all of law, law enforcement working together in this community, uh, we're doing a good job. That's good. I love the relationship you guys have. Uh, when are you guys going to do another um, uh, <laughs> ongoing a, a bet between you two? Well, you know, if the Chiefs make it and Philadelphia is, then I'll make him take the whoever and this, vice versa. If Philadelphia makes it, I'll have to root for whoever else is playing against Philadelphia. But yeah, that was... Uh, that's a good time, and he was a very good sport about it. Yeah, no, it's great. We're really happy to have him here in the Wichita area, and uh, I'm glad you guys are working together, making this happen, and hopefully we can continue to clean up the streets. We appreciate everything you guys are doing, not just you, but the entire team over there at Cedric County Sheriff's Office. So we appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you, Andy, for having me on. Always a pleasure. Cedric County Sheriff Jeff Easter, there it is. We'll get you back on the program again here real soon and get another update from you. Absolutely. There it is. We're all done, my friends. Back at it again next weekend for Candace Talk. Back at it again for our weekday show at 4 o'clock on KQAM and KIUL as well. Don't miss that one. We have a lot to talk about. We'll see if the government shut down and what it could affect us with. I'm not quite sure what it will be yet, but we'll see. Very scary. Government won't be there to save us on Monday. 
supposedly. We'll do some of that. Until then, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. This is Candace Talk. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.